but it's not me. I still feel like I should bring a stool every time I get into this. You should have seen the last pulpit I had. It was about this wide and about this tall, you know, and so yeah, this pulpit, I, I feel like I, I've got to grow up still some. So, All right, well, we are in Psalm 5 this afternoon, Psalm 5. We're going to read Psalm 5 together, and then we will get into uh, the study of it, which I've entitled My Morning Prayers. Not because I was clever, I stole it from David. So, Psalm 5, it is a psalm of David, and he writes in verse 1, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. And in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Psalm 5, notice first of all, David speaks of seeking the Lord. Verses 1 through 3, he is seeking the Lord. He says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and look up. Just a few observations of seeking the Lord. Notice David gives several styles of prayer here. He uses a bunch of different words to describe his prayer life, to describe uh, him talking and reaching out and seeking the Lord. He uses the word words, which are just utterances and words. He uses the word meditation, which can mean murmuring or whispering or musing, or the thought of, of meditating, of, of bringing thoughts to mind. It also could mean sighing. He uses the word cry, which in this context is literally a cry for help. And he uses the word pray, which is the general word to pr for prayer. But in David seeking the Lord in prayer, there's many different ways in which he prays. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul uses several different words to describe prayer. He says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks, all of those are an aspect of prayer, be made for all men. Supplications, asking for things in particular, prayers, and then intercessions, praying on behalf of someone else, and then the gratitude that we should have in prayer, all of it is there just as David uses several words for prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, 
This is the last piece of the armor of God. It's praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. It's kind of redundant, isn't it? Pray, 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 pray is the way Paul ends the, uh, the armor of God. Philippians 4, he says in verses 6 through 7, Be careful or full of care for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's so many different ways and words with which we could describe seeking the Lord in prayer. Most frequently, my prayers are little whispers, I say, talking to God throughout my day. There are times here and there that I cry out in prayer as life's heavy burdens do weigh. And often I find in the quietness of my mind, I form prayers that my lips cannot say. No matter the method, I have a Father in heaven whose ears hear each prayer that I pray. Charles Spurgeon put it more eloquently. He said, words are not the essence, but the garments of prayer. Let us cultivate the spirit of prayer, which is even better than the habit of prayer. We should begin to pray before we kneel down, and we should not cease to pray when we get up. The styles of prayer, David uses several different words to describe him crying out to the Lord in prayer. But notice he also has a schedule of prayer. He says in verse 3, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. No matter how many ways I've tried to avoid it, all throughout Scripture, you will find morning prayer time. Early morning prayer time. It's there. I had to come to grips with it eventually. But in the morning, David says. Oftentimes, David even talks about uh, before the morning. But you find this concept all throughout Scripture of praying in the morning. For example, our Lord and Savior, Mark 1, verse 35, says, In the morning rising up a great while before the day. He went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Daniel had a schedule of prayer. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that it was illegal now to pray, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Psalm 119, verses 145 through 147 says, I cried with my whole heart, Hear me, O Lord, I will keep thy statutes. I cried unto thee, save me, and I shall keep thy testimonies. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried, I hoped in thy word. Isaiah 26, verse 9 says, With my soul have I desired thee in the night, Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early, for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. You know, I understand that all of our schedules are different depending on the responsibilities that we have, but I think that the scripture makes it a point that one of the very first things that ever happens when we open our eyes is scheduled prayer. Scheduled prayer. Early African converts to Christianity were earnest and regular in their private devotions. And apparently, each had a separate spot in the thicket where he would pour out his heart to his God. Over time, 
the path to those places became well-worn. And as a result, if one of the believers began to neglect his private prayer time, it soon became apparent to everyone else. And they would kindly remind each other, brother, the grass grows on your path. Oswald Chambers said, if in the first waking moment of the day, you learn to fling the door back and let God in, every public thing will be stamped with the presence of God. I wonder if the grass grows on our path. I believe in the spirit of prayer. I believe in the habit of prayer. I believe in the whole concept of praying without ceasing. But there's something to be said for scheduled time in prayer. I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish that I didn't take time to pray. Problems just tumbled about me and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me? I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided, Child, you didn't knock. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on, gray and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He answered, But you didn't seek. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time and pray. We find David seeking the Lord. And then we find David is part of his motivation for serving the Lord as he observes the Lord's dealings with the wicked. We see him serving the Lord. And look at what he says here about those that aren't serving the Lord and how God deals with and thinks on them. He says in verse 4, For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to look for you. I'm going to seek you because the wicked are devoid of God's pleasure. The wicked are devoid of God's pleasure. God takes no pleasure in wickedness. Psalm 147 verse 11 says that the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. Psalm 149 verse 4 says the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. In Philippians 2 it says, wherefore my beloved, as ye've always obeyed, not in, as in my presence only, But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. David knew God takes no pleasure in wickedness, and I want to seek the pleasure of the Lord. Moses is an excellent example of putting the pleasure of the Lord ahead of the pleasures of this world. In Hebrews 11 verses 24 through 25, it says, By faith Moses... When he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses chose rather to be pleasing to the Lord than to enjoy all the pleasures of Egypt. Do we serve the Lord being mindful of his pleasure? I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible... 
I always, it always piques my interest a little bit when, when it tells us the things that bring pleasure to the Lord. God takes no pleasure in wickedness. And David was mindful of the Lord's pleasure. The wicked also are devoid of his presence. For thou art not a God, verse 4, that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. Psalm 34, verse 16 says, The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. David says, I know that evil is devoid of your presence. They don't get to dwell with you. Psalm 97, verse 10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the soul of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. God cannot dwell with wickedness. They are devoid of his presence. They have no fellowship with him. And David was seeking and serving the Lord, mindful of the presence of God. He wanted to be near to God. And then he also said that they're deserving of God's punishment. Verse 10. Destroy them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. The wicked are deserving of punishment and will face punishment one day. As we know in Revelation 21, it says in verse 8, that the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and liars, all shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Wickedness is deserving of punishment. And we understand that. We, we recognize that. That's part of our hope as Christians. But then in light of that fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, we're told to be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and hath given himself for us and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The wicked are deserving of God's punishment. And David, in, in, in meditating on that, this was one of the reasons he was going to seek and serve the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 says in verse 5 through 10, it's a similar message. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and the covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, 
seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which was renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created in him. The Bible makes it very clear, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I love the passages where Paul writes these long lists of sins like this, and I think it might be Corinthians, I, I, I didn't write it down, but, but then he says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed. David recognizes that the wicked have an end, punishment. God will take account of all men for their deeds one day. And we as Christians who have been set free from the power of sin, whose Christ, Christ has died so that we can mortify our members, we should live in light of that fact. We're set free from those things. He's serving the Lord as he's meditating on the end of those that are wicked. He's seeking the Lord in prayer. Then we see him submitting to the Lord in verses 7 through 12. He says, but as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. And in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. David continues in his prayer here, here, As for me, I will come to thy house. And we find him asking for a couple of things. We find him, first of all, seeking guidance. Make my way straight. Make thy way straight before my face. Lead me. He's asking for guidance. I love the promise in James 1 verse 5 which says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. That's chapter and verse promise. If you pray for wisdom, God will give it to you. And what I love about that verse is he doesn't Upbraid. He gives it liberally. He gives more than you need, but also he doesn't, he doesn't criticize because you're back. Again, really? You need wisdom for this again? No, no, no. He gives and gives and gives wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. David is praying for guidance. Lead me. Make thy way straight before my face. Psalm 27 verse 11 says, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Lead me in a plain path. Make it obvious. Make it smooth for me. Psalm 31 verse 3 says, For thou art my rock and my fortress, therefore for thy name's sake lead me and guide me. Psalm 139 says in verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. David seeks guidance 
from the Lord. Lord, show me the way. Lead me. Other Psalms say, incline my heart to follow after your precepts. Guide me, lead me, help me. Who are you running to for guidance? Who are you running to for guidance? Where are you getting wisdom from? David sought it of the Lord. He also sought gratification of the Lord. He prays these imprecatory prayers here. Destroy thou them, O Lord. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. That's verse 10. For they have rebelled against thee, but let all that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. God will reward the wicked for their wickedness. And this is one of the things that David took comfort in. God will reward the the wicked for their wickedness. No one gets away with anything. No one. Me, me included. We rest in the fact that God is keeping the books and all men will give an account. This was certainly a comfort to the persecuted church. In Thessalonica, the Thessalonians were so very persecuted that they thought maybe they had missed something and it was already the last times. Second Thessalonians 1 says, So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith, in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, God will recompense rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. What what is the message here? Take comfort in the fact that God will set things right. God is not, God is keeping track. No one gets away with anything. We put faith in our Father and leave the vengeance part to Him. That's the message of Romans 12, recompense no, to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Pastor, I don't know about you, I often put way more emphasis on the if it be possible part and not near as much as, as much as lieth in you part. But that's there. To the best of your ability, if it's possible. Live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. David took comfort in the fact that God is keeping the books. And he also sought the Lord for grace. For grace. He submits to the Lord's guidance. He submits to the Lord's gratification. He submits to the Lord's grace. Verse 12, For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous with favor that will compass him as with a shield. His grace, his favor, his blessing. Proverbs 3, 
says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and men. God will bless the righteous. With favor will God compass them as with a shield. Proverbs 11 verse 18 says, The wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. The grace of God. God is a rewarder, as Hebrews eleven six says, of them that seek him without faith. It says it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He submits to God's grace. You're going to bless the righteous. You're going to encompass the righteous with your favor. Paul himself was confident in God's rewards. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And then the next part, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. God is going to bless the righteous. Maybe not with monetary things or physical things or health and wealth as others might preach, but rather encompass us with his favor and with his grace. David sought the Lord in prayer. He sought the Lord in prayer. He sought him in many different styles of prayer. It wasn't just words. It was also heartfelt cries. It was also meditations and musing, thoughts of the mind, but it was also scheduled prayer in which in the morning he cried out to God. He served the Lord mindful of the fact that the world, God has no pleasure in it. God's presence is not with them. And they will be punished for their wickedness. He was mindful of that. But as for me, he says, I will submit to the Lord. I will submit to his guidance. How quickly we run to other sources of guidance. Who's, who's the first phone call? You know, In me, it depends on the situation, right? Who's the first phone call? But do we seek the Lord for guidance and wisdom? How, how little, I think, as Christians, we take God up on his promise to give us wisdom liberally. Do we seek God for our gratification? That, you know, he is keeping the books. God will set things right one day. And we can take comfort in the fact that we just need to trust him and serve him. And then do we submit to his grace that he does reward the righteous? He does reward the righteous. And it truly is the best way to live your life according to to what God has said. Seeking, serving, submitting. That's Psalm 5. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that we would be a people that seek your face first. 
that we would serve you, Lord, that you would encourage us in the truth, that you are keeping track, and that we would trust in you. Lord, that you would guide us and give us the wisdom that we need to go about our week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.